on today's episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. My self-talk was always positive, you know, and I was obsessive, whether it was walking from class, whether it was in class when I should have been thinking more about class, it was running through positive thoughts in my head. It was going through techniques over and over, so I was just second nature all the time. I was, when I was warming up before a match, I was like, I worked harder than this guy, I'm better than this guy, I'm smarter than this guy, I'm stronger than this guy, I'm more flexible than this guy, even if it wasn't even true. Well, I was a fanatic, there's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room because of exhaustion and it never happened the thing it did for me every day about six o'clock is that when i got out i looked back in and there was nobody else there bottom line was i didn't reach my goal so guess what happened i went back in the room again but i got some quality time because of just some kind of a fanatic goal Welcome back to the show, folks. Today's episode is with Jesse Jansen. Jesse won an NCAA title for Harvard in the mid-2000s and has since gone on to have a successful career in Wall Street and most recently started a cryptocurrency research firm. This guy is an absolute stud and has seemed to be successful in life and no matter what he does. So a lot of fun talking with him. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, if you enjoy this episode, give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe to the show, and for past episodes, check out WrestlingChangeMyLife.org. Jesse, you're a man of, of, of many skills now. You're involved with, with crypto. You're, you're a, a mini producer or wannabe producer, as you say on your social channels. Um, but your foundation of who you are as a person most likely got started with wrestling. Um, so maybe take us back to your childhood. What was it like and how did you first get introduced to the sport? Um, well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm excited about your podcast and the future as it continues to grow. Thank you. Um, and I don't know if I'm doing a ton of things or pretending to do a ton of things, but um, wrestling is the foundation of pretty much everything I do. So um, gr- New York guy, growing up on Long Island, uh, one of five kids, um, big family. And then my mother used to run a daycare out of our house with 15 other kids. So <laughs> it was chaos, to say the least. Okay. And my So I think we had wrestling matches within the house um, through the daycare. So we had training. We had a, a wrestling mat in our, our living room. And so we had a, a basically a compound for training since I was young. Not really, but kind of. So um, my dad was a wrestler, and he introduced me to the sport, like most wrestling families, pretty young. I don't know, six, seven, eight years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. But we grew up, um, my brother and I, and even, even the girls, just kind of doing all sports. They exposed us to whatever you could. Everyone played soccer growing up. That's kind of the easiest thing for little kids to do, and uh, baseball, and track and field, and wrestling, and BMX, and all these things. But... Um, my dad being that that was kind of a sport that he did in high school and college, uh, that was his skill set. So he always said, it's a shame to waste your best skill set. Um, you know, it's just, it would be a shame not to share your, your, your skill set or your, your talent, your special talent. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think parents kind of worry that they'll be overbearing and force things on their kids and overwork them, all these things. And my dad was perfect um, at kind of not putting that pressure, but at the same time, introducing his skill to his, his kids. So they had an opportunity to be great at something. So I think that's kind of where it came from. And um, wrestling's a funny sport. Once you're introduced, it's so emotional, it's so embarrassing, it's so painful to lose that most people either quit or get really addicted to it. It's like this obsessive thing. It's a hurt so good. So I for sure didn't like the feeling of getting beaten up or manhandled physically by another kid or man. So uh, I was obsessed. When did you you really fall in love with it and when did things start clicking where this is all you want to do and you really start taking it seriously? I continued to do all sports up until like 
ninth grade, I started soccer and baseball in high school and kind of stopped because I was doing wrestling year round. Seemed like that was my opportunity for maybe a scholarship. And wrestling at that time, I was probably the first generation of folks or second that really focused on specialized in sport. Mm -hmm. And you were weightlifting, you were cross training, you were competing. I I had 100 matches in an off season uh, in freestyle. You know, you could wrestle cadet and juniors and have 15, 20 matches in a weekend. So like you were uh, nonstop competing and training, um, which can be good and bad. Uh, You can get burned out. So around that time, but really it was the sport. Those other sports were so much fun, and I was actually pretty good at them, but I wasn't training and competing at those sports and putting the same time in. I was doing that um, kind of in off-seasons and, and playing in games and practices, but it was really kind of all-around wrestling. Okay. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your dad really had it down in terms of the balance because you see it all the time, I'm oh. sure, with even when you were coaching, parents that are way too overbearing, and the kid doesn't love it, and they get pushed out of it. But it seems like for someone who wrestled as much as you did, it was a perfect blend. Yeah, you know, my dad was so great at being positive and I am not as good at that as <laughs> even with my younger brother Corey who was this great talent in wrestling I uh, and he was so good and he still is uh, I w- I can see myself getting frustrated um, versus my dad was just positive I, I had bad matches I was beat you know I, and he would always come back with this level of positivity and hey let's go to the videotape oh you did this really well but this is where we had a problem we can fix that that's mm-hmm. fixable and it wasn't like what are you doing? Like you didn't wrestle your best. There's times I just didn't wrestle my best, and that's the frustrating part. If you got beat because the guy's better than you, right. what are you gonna do? You did your best. The guy was just better, and that's there was it. times that happened. But uh, even the times that it was like I didn't live up to what I should have, he was so good about it. And that was just like there was times when I was burned out, and we've left tournaments midway through. Really? They weren't big tournaments. I yeah. wasn't even a national tournament. I wasn't right. even a qualifier. Right. They were off-season tournaments. I already had 50 matches. He's like, "How you feeling?" I was like. Like I, this is the last place I want to be, and it wasn't it, like, <laughs> and it, it wasn't a sense of like quitting because I've right. grind through it. I've competed with the flu, you know. I've had four workouts in a day. I've lost thirty pounds in like three days. Like I've tortured myself plenty. Yeah. But he just knew. He knew that this isn't good long term. Right. Like you should go. This is summer, and you're sick of this. And this is a not really. This is just a training tournament. It's not meaningful. Let's we're out. Let's right. go. So I think that's special. I don't know a lot of guys, parents who were that good at being coaches, fathers, friends, um, and just having that balance. He's right. just he's the best to ever do it. <laughs> the guy was so good. It's amazing. And I know you started endowment in his name, which is awesome. Um, yeah, at Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, at Harvard. Um, and I, you're being a little modest about your career. So, you, and we'll mention this on the intro, but you. Had an incredible run, six-time state placer, four-time state champ, freshman through your senior year. You were actually defeated your eighth-grade year as well, um, and then going into the state semifinals, you lost. Um, yeah. Do you remember that oh, experience? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so frustrated because it's funny. So insignificant in the grand scheme of your life. Right. Sports in general really are. I mean, mm-hmm. shape your life important, but, like, right. what are we doing? What are we affecting? It's very selfish. Like, right. we just some, like, arbitrary accomplishment. But – You'll have, I still have dreams about losses and what I could have, should have, would have, and things like that. You know, you still, like everyone does. Like, they're just funny things that, right. like, when you put that much time into something and you want something so bad, like, it sticks with you. There's what? no doubt. So that year, I lost to a guy. He was just better than me at that time. Brandon Lehman. Tough. He still knows his name. Oh, freak, yeah. Like, he was a four-time state finalist. He should have been probably the first four-time state champ before me. Okay. In a single state tournament, he right. was that. He was really good, and I think he went to junior college and I, I, I and just had he been focused and had 
mentor, maybe better, better mentorship. I don't know where he is now, but like I'm sure he's a multiple division one All American kind of guy. He was good, right? Um, but he beat me, no doubt. I wasn't beating him that year. I think right. he was just maybe I, I had my best match and, and I things worked out. I could have beat him, but I think out of ten matches, he's going to win most of those. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll let him have the better man that day, and that yeah. frustrated me. Seventh grade, I should have won. Really? I was the best that year. What happened? I lost a really weird match in the quarters or semifinals to another state champ who's a great guy, uh, and but it was like a one nothing match. I thought there was a questionable takedown. It was just not my best match. Right. Easily could have won that match. And then the guy that won, the transitive property, I think I had wins over him, you know? So <laughs> I think I... And, or did the, the gear I lose to win? I forget. But either way, I felt like that was my year to, to have that shot at the fifth. Seventh was was really within reach. Eighth, uh, yeah, I went up two-way because I think that he was tough. He was right. good. He got me. And I know you've had some some heartbreaking losses, as has anyone. Yeah. Um, are there any in particular that stand out and really shape, you think, who you are today? Um, yeah, I, th- I think... My junior year losing in the, did I lose in the semis of the NCAA Two tournament? Yeah. yeah. I lost to him a couple times. It was always reasonably close. Um, that stung because I went into school like thinking like anyone who has a big ego and is talented high school and had a lot of success was like, I'm going to win every year. Right. Like I, I, as a freshman, lost to Esposito, who's ranked second in the country the first tournament. It was 4-3, and I thought I got screwed out of back points. I was like, I can win this thing. I'm right. a you know, freshman. Like I, and then like, you know – First year in academics at a college level at Harvard and like all this other stuff and doubt and being young and like, you know, it just weighs on you. And, and then I had a, I had a pretty good year, but it yeah. wasn't great. You know, I, I uh, triple over or like double overtime with a guy that took six or seven. So I was within mm-hmm. reach to All-American, but it wasn't in the cards. But I would say junior year, sophomore year, I lost in the quarters. Frustrated the hell out of me because who won that year? Was it the year I beat Larkin and he was like ranked first? Your sophomore year, Larkin beat Lawrence. I believe, and then you're. Oh, so I had a win over Larkin. I think my sophomore the year. Odds winner. Yeah, yeah, I had a win over him in Vegas. So I also thought I could have won that year. Yeah. <laughs> so like I was in a mix, and those are frustrating because right. I was like, I hate wrestlebacks, yeah. <laughs> and I think the men are the men in the wrestlebacks, which is great. Dude, it's a you're great beating Zadek, your freshman or sophomore year in the wrestlebacks. Yeah, I mean, I know Percival upset him, but I think shit. my sophomore or junior year that happened, and that was the toughest wrestleback ever. I had to beat Billman, I had to beat Zadek, I had to beat Percival, who was smoking everyone that year. He's then I had to beat Percival again the next year, who's a four-time winner. Like uh, the wrestlebacks are always brutal, but crazy. I, Anyway, it's just always frustrating because it's like, wait, I can have like two more matches. I'm going to win this thing, or I got to have like five, right. and like against tough dudes that are either like have something to prove or you're done. So it was just like, the wrestlebacks are a funny thing. Yeah. So were. probably those those stung, and I was kind of the great hope for Harvard at the time. Like, there's no doubt I had pretty good academics, but they got me in there for a reason. All right. 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 <laughs> I was kind of well rounded, and I was, uh, you know, a, a, a pretty good talent in the sport. And uh, I had to honor my side of the deal, which is to freaking win. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here, like, like looking inside myself, going to my senior year. I was like, dude, this is it. I haven't won this thing yet. I was like, I got to freaking come through. It like, I felt like I was, I mean, selfishly, I put a lot of pressure on myself. But I felt like for the university, like, uh, you know, they took a risk on me. And, and I'm uh, honoring some things, but I got to win. Yeah. I mean, that's cool you feel that kind of commitment to the school. I've never yeah. heard someone talk about it like that before. School was so good to me, well, at least specifically to the athletic program. I mean, obviously they brought coaches in to make the team better mm-hmm. overall, and they did a great job. We had amazing coaches. I mean, Kendall Cross was kind of on his way out, but he was there, like in and out, and he made a point to come in and train with me my first year and a half. 
like he would leave his job at Merrill Lynch and he'd be working long hours as like a broker and uh, he'd come in and kick my butt. And uh, that was huge. Right. I mean, Olympic champion, it, it teach me, and, and with a style that was tough for me. Mm -hmm. He had a very tough style, a guy that was funky in the positions that I wrestled out of. It helped me so much. Right. Uh, getting Brian Snyder, Jared Freyer, um, Dustin Denunzio staying around as an alumni who was just so good. Right. Tough as nails. Uh, never won a national title, but easily could have. And uh, freestyle circuit, really good. So I know that it's not a coincidence. They were all about 149, 157. Got it. And that's my weight class. <laughs> so, yeah. And so maybe describe to people who, who aren't wrestlers, how tough is it or how difficult is it to win an NCAA title? Because sometimes we throw that around so cavalier. Yeah. Like, what does it mean to you? And like, how, how tough is it for people who don't know the sport? I don't know. It seems super easy for some people. <laughs> <laughs> people are winning three and four left and right. I was like, for me, it was it was tough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was third, third, first. I think I could have snuck an extra one in there, right? I was definitely good enough. I was, in the, I was a threat. So it's tough for a number of things. Like a ton of us were talented enough. I think to do it on a given day, right? But the stars have to align. You got to be healthy. You got to make it through a Division One college wrestling season and feel good and right. deal with injuries and all these things. My brother was ranked second or first at given times in the country and never all American. And uh, the kid was riddled with six different injuries and four surgeries and just concussions and and those everyone's hurt, right? right? Those are excuses, but they're not. Like it's timing, it's luck and opportunity. So. I think it's just hard when you're perfectly healthy, mm -hmm. right? There's such such great talent, especially at the you know the the heart of the, I guess the most popular weight classes between like 41 to 65, right? Um, and there's a ton of luck and timing involved. Okay, you know, yeah. And so going in your senior year, you know that this is your last year. Like, yeah. what's your self talk like every day? Like, what are you thinking? Are you like in a state of fear, like I have to win it, or are you enjoying the moment? Uh, maybe just talk us through what it was like your yeah. senior year. I think if anyone tells you they don't have those self-doubt and those fear thoughts, they're completely lying. Like Mike Tyson used to say, as he walked into the the ring before fights, he was like hoping that a light would fall on his head basically and kill him. Like he was like, not yeah. exactly, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. like, he's like, he's so good, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose, I'm scared, I'm scared of death, I'm scared of death. But then when he stepped in the ring, he says, I'm a god, right. and I'm going to kill this guy. So it was like kind of like that. We all, as athletes in individual sport and combat sports and fighting, I think we all, if they were being purely honest... We do feel that, right? Like all the time. But my self-talk was always positive, you know. And I was obsessive. Whether it was walking from class, whether it was in class when I should have been thinking more about class, it was running through positive thoughts in my head. It was going through techniques over and over. So I was just second nature all the time. I was when I was warming up before a match. I was like, I worked harder than this guy. I'm better than this guy. I'm smarter than this guy. I'm stronger than this guy. I'm more flexible than this guy. Even if it wasn't even true, I'm right. better looking than this guy. My girlfriend's <laughs> harder than this guy. Yeah. I was like, just brainwash yourself conor mcgregor style right you know laws of attraction and that helps um wow. and then putting the time in gives you confidence there's no doubt the, the iowa style of knowing you're just so prepared it just automatically gives you confidence right and i trained so i overtrained for sure in college really well harvard was still developing their great coaches and they did such a good job for helping me out but i don't know what like i don't know what you should be doing or not doing so i'm thinking of like well what is oklahoma state and iowa doing and, and this and that and they can't work harvard can't work like that because our academic schedule is i'm thinking i'm like well well they don't have, those guys don't have to worry about they have great teachers and professors right. and academics not the but, same though but there may not be right? right i mean there's a real the university doesn't really do you any favors as an athlete really you have to be really upfront, and this is not a priority. Right. It's not like they don't like athletes. It's just like, whereas some other schools, they're revenue generating sports. Right. So it's a whole different mentality. Right. There's not a single sport on Harvard's campus that's revenue generating. Wow. 
football anything nothing. right nothing and usually football it's an academic institution right? right i mean everywhere else in the in the u.s it, there's football's revenue generating you know what i'm saying so like right. even wrestling programs some probably are um so, so what, i guess the point was um yeah positive self-talk and just constantly you know i had a little shift in my senior year going up to that i felt like it was so much pressure i was like forget it i'm just gonna be more relaxed and what's going to happen is going to happen. I kind of was like listening to like Jack Johnson pretty much around the around 24 hours a day. Right. I was just kind of just chill out, just work hard, and this is going to happen. And just like you've prepared your whole life for this. This right. is enough pressure. You can't put this on your shoulders anymore. So I kind of like tried to have a little bit more of a laid back mentality. I stayed up at 57 way longer. I dropped the weight because I was getting heavy. You know, I was pretty lean at 175, and I was going down to 49. I was just like... Yeah, I'll take a little pressure off and wrestle the the fifty seven pounders. Get the best competition. Yeah, right. picked up a loss at Vegas and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But beat a lot of the top guys at fifty seven and had great competition and and had a variety of different athletes and it was, I kind of I love the model uh, that we had that year and my mentality was a little more relaxed, um, and I felt good pretty much throughout the year. I mean, a couple you know bumps and bruises along the way, but. Made it through. It's yeah. a long grind, man. Yeah, yeah. crazy. So, yeah. what was? Do you remember like what a day in the life was like for you back then? Like, when were you waking up? What was your morning training like? Do you remember how you structured your day? Yeah, classes. The earliest class was usually eight um, or nine, and so I always got a morning workout in, whether it was a lift or a drill or some form of wrestling on the mat. Um, so I remember always. Um, you know, getting up, getting just a little bit of food in me and hustling over to get the workout in, uh, right. whether it was a one-on-one with Snyder, just working on technique and then burning your lungs a little bit, or it was a lift. Um, then I had class most of the days. I, I had like a 30-minute to 45-minute window before practice. I always took a, a nap. I'd throw a Seinfeld rerun on and just listen <laughs> Hell to it. yeah. I always. Seinfeld. When Seinfeld was syndicated, it was on like all day long on every channel. So right. I was just like, in channel 11, I'd just bit, sit there and be like, oop, go to bed and then go uh, get ready for practice in the afternoon. And then, um, you know, hammer out work after practice or get food with the team, uh, have a good practice, and mm-hmm. then hammer out work after that. Uh, and then I used to lift when we weren't having team lifts. During the season at that time, it was a different world. Um, we didn't always have mandatory team lifts and now I think they do all the time and they okay. do, yeah. So, and I, every dorm had a gym, so I would usually wow. get work done and then about 10 o'clock at night I'd lift, uh, and then I'd, I'd ha- you know, crush a lift, get a snack and then go to bed. Three workouts a day. A lot, not every single day, but a lot of days. Yeah. A lot of days I'd do three in college. Jesus. I was working out a lot. And so if you can handle that kind of workload in college competing at the highest level, is it almost easy for you to do that now in the professional life? Um, compared to like some of these other guys you're working with here, we're in a skyscraper in New York, and yeah. you know these business guys think they work hard, but this is probably nothing to you. Like, do you ever feel that way? Yeah, I think every wrestler wears that badge, and right. they're like, dude, okay, I had the, that academic schedule, I had that physical schedule, I had to cut weight, right. and then do it all, feeling 60% half the time, right? and then maybe get sick or whatever else. So I think that badge, there is something. It's kind of like a warrior mentality. It's like, you know, the Navy SEALs to think about their lives are at risk. I mean, like, you know, when you have those experiences, I think they, uh, when the going gets tough, it makes you strong. Right. And like, I, I can handle this. Right. However, it's much different. Like physical suffering a lot of times is different than like, you know, sitting in an office all day. There's guys that are just machines. They can sit at a desk for 20 hours and not move and code and do this. I was like, that's a different kind of exhaustion. That's True. a different kind of uh, mental strength. Right. And that's, that's way harder for me than just suffering all day physically. 
That's just a good way to I get put it. stagnant. I get frustrated. I get, I get ADD or whatever it is. Right. I, I'm just restless. Right. And I think a lot of athletes probably get that way. Okay. But there's some the academics and these people that can just – their military out. level of being able to just focus mentally on you know specific tasks that necessarily aren't physically exhausting. But, right. So I think it's a little bit of a yes and no. There's some people that can do things like that that I just – they crush me. <laughs> That you were getting, it kind of gets back to you were talking talking to me earlier about how Joe Desina at the Spartan races wanted you to get involved with that because obviously you're a, you're a physical guy. What, what was that story? You mind sharing that again with the listeners? Yeah, it was it was a while ago now. Uh, I'm trying to think of the woman that worked for Spartan Race who reached out, but uh, it was early days with Spartan Race. I think there was Tough Mudder. Yep. Yep. And what else was around during that time? There was. Uh, they have like the Warrior Run, I think. Was it uh, Warrior Dash or Warrior Dash? Warrior run? Dash. Okay, so yeah. that was around. Yeah. So it was like two or three. And okay. Spartan was trying to disrupt, and they were the new game in town. And right. Joe had this great following and these cool races. And there was this guy, I, I wish I was more specific on this, but there was this cross-country guy that was dominating everyone at the time. Okay. And they needed some people that they could market against him and try to like dethrone him. Right. And I was kind of set to potentially do this race. There was this article that came out, and we did an interview and all this stuff. And to be honest, I freaking wussed out. I was just distracted at work at the time i was trading a long short equity at a family office right and uh kind of get my career started so i was just like i don't know i mean i can't let sports like derail me and i'm gonna get crushed by this dude he's uh, like the endurance stuff he's gonna crush me anything right. with physical you know the pulling the pull-ups the pushing the you kill explosives I, yeah i felt that way but right. uh yeah i think it was a longer race too yeah those are yeah, that's a crazy guy decina um yeah he's had some some interesting podcasts with tim ferris and I think he was even on... And Tim was a wrestler, too, Long Island guy. Yeah. yeah. yeah what? Did you wrestle with him? No, because he went to a private school, I think, outside of Long Island. But he... I mean, I have... Oh, that's to, right. He did. I, he went to a boarding he, school. I haven't yeah. chatted with him in length, but he... Um, yeah, he, he wrestled, like, I think in high school, and uh, that was pretty much it. And he grew up in East Hampton, though, and then went away, and then was at Princeton, but obviously wasn't involved wrestling in college. So, right. Yeah. Right. That's right. Okay. And so you... you know, The biggest part of this podcast is... The wrestling stories, which are awesome, but also, you know, how it shaped your life and what you're doing now. So, so talk us through after 08, you made a run at the Olympics. Uh, you mm-hmm. had some injuries, but, you know, what have you been doing since then? And, and you know, kind of just talk us through your, your professional life since. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was training for the 08 tr- uh, Olympic trials, I had um, – I tore my foot, had this big surgery on my foot and this injury, and I was like, well, I, I got to prepare for life after wrestling. I said, uh, I, th- I figured 04, 08 would be my two shots, and um, then, you know, if I medaled, uh, you know, hopefully gold, then I, I would retire and move on. So right. I, uh, when I was hurt during that time period, I was coaching uh, at Harvard and training at the Olympic Training Center and traveling at competitions for the New York Athletic Club. A guy named Joe Perella, who was a, a Lehigh graduate, not a wrestler, but a huge wrestling fan, and a uh, very famous M&A you know, banker, investor. Yep. And uh, he's a big supporter of Lehigh Wrestling and a great guy. I consider him, whether he knows it or not, a mentor and, like, idolize the guy. This right. is classic Italian guy who's kind of, like, this great story. Grew up in, like, Union or Newark, New Jersey, and, like, from a big Italian family. Um, went to Harvard Business School, was in the Air Force, and wow. then just became this legendary banker. And at the time, it was 07 or 06. He was – he had left Morgan Stanley – he had a he had a, a private well he had a company started with a guy named Bruce, Bruce Wasserstein, um, 
ran that for a while, left, they kind of separated, went back to Morgan Stanley, and then was leaving to start this thing called Perella Weinberg Partners with his other partner, um, Peter Weinberg. Okay. And uh, they had like 15 employees. And he, I met him at the NCAA wrestling uh, tournament when I won, 2004 in St. Louis. Okay. He came to our Harvard uh, box that we had there and introduced himself and said, hey, Jesse, I'm so impressed. Congratulations. It's amazing. Uh, here's my business card if you ever need anything, if you ever want a job or to learn more about the banking world. Wow. And I was young and dumb and a meathead. And I was like, oh, thanks, guy. I don't know who this guy is. you know. And I was just kind of like, I'm going to train and do whatever. Um, but I didn't lose the card. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was told, you know, it's a good one to keep. Yeah. And um, I reached out. I was like, hey, Joe, I don't know if you uh, expected this or not or you were just being a nice guy. But I just broke my foot. I don't know. I'll be out for a year and a half or longer. Uh, I think I need to learn some stuff about life. <laughs> Can't just learn about like collar ties anymore. Yeah. I was like, unless that's going to pay me a lot of money and support uh, my lifestyle, family, and everything else. So um, he was like, hey, you know, this is not bad timing. We just started this company. It's about 50 employees. We're going to grow it. But maybe you can intern and learn and blah, blah, blah. So I'd work with them. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, less than a year or a year or so, uh, kind of interning and learning as like a banking analyst and, and watching them build this great company, which is now, I don't know, 2,000 employees or something like that. Oh, and shit. asset management, advisory, and they had a hedge fund and they had, uh, so. Um, Were you a finance guy in college? I was government and sociology, so no, but I know most of the people that are like these rock stars in finance, not that I'm a rock star, but they are, uh, you know, history majors and all this stuff. So it's important. Like, I think you should have an economics background. If I do it again, I would have only taken that classes and I would have been more focused on exactly what I want. But I don't know. I didn't even think I was going to an Ivy League at all. Like my parents, my mom didn't go to college and she was a really smart woman, but it was just, the emphasis was getting good grades, but it wasn't like, you're going to an Ivy League school. We're breeding you to do this. AP, all this shit. Yeah. I mean, I was in a... AP classes, but I just like knew that you had to do. I just like to compete. Maybe it was vanity. I just right. wanted to win. And right. So, but I didn't know like I didn't have a formula for like how to be a banker from going to the Ivy League school to do this and that. Right. And then once I went through the process, I tried to pass down the knowledge to other siblings and stuff. But it wasn't like, uh, and a lot of people don't have that. But right. a lot of people I was in school with for sure had that. Right. I mean, they were groomed to know like this is what you have to do to get to this point. Right. And so you got involved with this guy, and then... Um, yeah, so I worked for a while, uh, but knowing that I was going back to com- compete and train. So I finally healed up after a kind of a debacle with this injury that was misdiagnosed and treated. Yep. And then I started competing again. And um, then, uh, yeah, I wrestled in the Olympic trials. I had some big wins right back. I beat Freyer, who was the ranked two at the time, and beat Schwab a, a bunch and all these other guys, Damn. the two Olympians, right? And um, then... Um, yeah, just didn't get my stride back. I was huge. I lost. I got so heavy. It's like almost 180 probably to get back to 45. And, <gasps> my God. So and then I was just struggling to get the weight down. And then, um, uh, you yeah, know, it just kind of shook me up a little bit. And then um, going into the 08 trials, I ended up losing to Larkin and uh, was kind of banged up before. So, yeah. um, but, you know, come back from? it was frustrating. Yeah, it was harder at the time. I was just like. Uh, compartmentalizing it but it's hard it's hard to walk away when you are you know essentially like you know not getting professional athletes out but you're a professional athlete that's what you're doing for a living you're right. just competing yeah. and then um, and you fell short kind of of what the ultimate was you sacrificed four years to say this is why I'm doing this and then you don't really have anything to show for it other than in the end you have a lot of lessons a lot of life experience which is invaluable right. but you know it's tough it's always better to win. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's always better to win. Definitely. I always like the people say, like, there's always the silver lining lessons. I was like, yeah, those are good, but it's nice to win. <laughs> right. So it was for sure an adjustment. It stinks, you know. Right. 
Like if you talk to anyone who's like set something didn't quite get there, yeah, there's always gonna be a little emptiness. Right. You'll find it in other things and you'll have great success. But you gotta mourn that loss and you gotta fuel that with other healthy habits and goals. Right. Um, How do you think about goal setting? That was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Because obviously you're a very driven person. You've mm -hmm. succeeded a lot in life. Do you set goals for yourself? Um, and just so like, kind of walk us through that process. Yeah, I mean, that's how I was kind of raised as far as like, you know, having the goals in your face at all times so you can't avoid them. And I think I was self-motivated. Wrestlers are generally really self-motivated. Individual mm -hmm. sport. Um, not that team sport athletes are not self-motivated. But, um, you know, I'd write them all down. I'd have... Uh, you know, a document or an Excel spreadsheet kind of planning out the year, knowing things I wanted to hit and targets. Um, I'd have really short-term goals as well, daily goals. Um, and then I'd have weekly, monthly, and then ultimate goals, which is like, you know, state champion, how many times you want to be state champion, national champion, you know, and at benchmarks at what time period you want to accomplish these goals. Um, and I've gone through two different things. At one point, I was so obsessive about it. One of my coaches was kind of the opposite a little more hippie aspect and it was like well try to open my mind to accomplishing goals that weren't as specific but more about just self-improvement and uh, which I think Penn State maybe does a great job at like now I don't know exactly how they do it but they just have this fun aspect of like wrestling and improvement and it seems to work really well God, they wrestle loose, don't they? Yeah, and I for sure I didn't have that. I just knew you were going to work your ass off and you're going to hit these benchmarks. Right. Which works too, no doubt. But anyway, that's kind of how I looked at it. There was like these daily, weekly, nothing too novel, but I had them everywhere. They're written in my ceiling for bed. They're on my door. They're on my computer. It was just like I couldn't avoid these things. So. Seriously, you wrote them on the, even the ceiling. Or you had them taped up on the ceiling. Pretty much at times. I yeah. don't know if it was always that case, but they were everywhere. So yeah. you really couldn't uh, wake up and like you know, stare yourself in the mirror or wherever without being like, okay, I got to – Got to get up and bake the donuts. It's time. So, right, right. Um, do you still do that now with your professional life? I do. I don't really tape them anymore, but I have them. Right. You know, now with the modern technology, it's a little easier to be less obvious about that stuff. Sure. But, um, you know, whether it's for a new company, it's like, you know, what three things do we need to accomplish this week? Um, right. You know, what three things did we do well last week or did we do poorly last week? Um, and then kind of, uh, you know, focus on getting to these things uh, and having a, an effect. Um, okay. So, yeah. Interesting. I, I just love different people's takes on it because everyone has a different way to do it. You know, some people focus on, you know, hey, a goal shouldn't be an outcome you can't control. Like winning, technically you can't control, but you can control the process of getting up to that, right? Yeah. You can control, you know, waking up, working out, uh, controlling your diet and so forth. So maybe yeah. those should be the goals and the outcome is just a byproduct of that. Or some people say, no, you got to know and visualize yourself winning the nationals or, yeah. or, or taking a company public. So I like, yeah, I, I like a combination of both. I, and I do think there's probably, it's probably healthier to not focus on the outcome all the time because that obsessive nature of it. And if you do fall short, it's devastating. It's just so devastating because you've built that up. Like you can't have happiness without it. Right. I think there's almost, there's a sense of that sometimes. And uh, which isn't the case, right? Again, right. these are meaningful things, but they're not really that meaningful. Glory is fleeting. Like, right. yeah, you won a national championship, whoopty shit. The right. greater, the globe doesn't care that much about that. Right. I mean, they it's, care, people care, but like, it's really about you. It's right. about how did you feel? You, you put that much time in and you got this sense of accomplishment. Right. Um, but I, I do think that there is something to having the outcome goal up there too. 
like I want to win this, no and this is what I need to do. What you want to freaking do, like you know yeah. what I mean? Like they can. It's to your point. It sounds maybe it's softer. It sounds nice to just care about the process, but at the end of the day, and you want to freaking win. Well, and guess what? All you're doing is kidding yourself because you know that's why your your short term goals. You know why you're doing this because to get to that. Right. So right, you didn't write it, or you're not saying that's what you're looking for, but right. you are. Right. You know. All right. You're not going to say it or write it down, but you know. Right. right. So like, what's the difference? Put it up there, and just know at the end of the day, like if for some reason it doesn't work out. You'll get up the next day, and you'll have your family or friends or your life, and, and you'll be fine. Right. But, yeah, you want to chase that like there's nothing else. Otherwise, you can't be the best in the world at something. Right. It's got to be everything to you because that mentality is really the only way to get there. And you're thinking about it all the freaking time. You're visualizing it. You're obsessing about it. I mean, I, I am, but now I don't know. I wonder if, like, when I have kids, hopefully, uh, how I will instill the values to get things that they want in life. And is it? Uh, is, there is a definitely a level of obsessiveness that's probably unhealthy, and maybe that can pull them away from those goals. I don't know. Right. But it's definitely a way to get there. So it's hard. I yeah. think it's really. It's also really depends on the individual. True. So much, right? I mean. Yeah, because you've seen it go wrong for sure. Like with parents and the kids literally who I used to coach who are normal, nice kids in eighth grade. Their dad just drives them to the freaking wall. And maybe wrestling of all sports, you have the crazy parents. I don't know. Maybe it's in all sports, but it definitely is in wrestling. And it's yeah. a shame, you know, to see that happen. It's um, it's really apparent in wrestling. Uh, be, I think because of the emotionality, like I've sat in the corner with family and uh, on the other end, and it's like you're saying and doing things you never imagined. Like, what am I doing? This you're, is just a match. Especially <laughs> with your brother, right? How yeah. hard is that to coach your brother? So hard. I mean, it's so much easier to compete, right? Because like, yeah. you want the best for them, and you get and he. But he was so good, and it was not. I mean, not, you guys are really close, right? We are really tight. So yeah. um, he's a freak, man. I was I was looking at his. Uh, we're getting ready for this his social profile the guy's a specimen man he's in good shape that's oh why i gotta God. like work out i can't stand next, <laughs> i can't stand next to that guy shirtless but um and he yeah was, he was such he was a really good athlete more natural than i was i, I think really? i was strong and fast but he's just for a feel for all sports picked things up really quickly got it yeah okay well i know uh, we have some, not that much time left here so moving just a couple yeah. questions i've sourced from from some buddies here well uh first of all is you're big into crypto now. Um, not sure how you got into that, but you know, what are some of the big, biggest misunderstandings about, about cryptocurrency and blockchain, just for the, the, the layman, so to speak? That it's um, a pon- well, it's fraudulent Ponzi scheme that all it's used for is um, sex trafficking and money laundering. <laughs> so I think that that's uh, undoubtedly there's bad actors in, the, in this space, yeah. and there were over the past two years, uh, like there were – in the hedge fund world, in the you know pump and dump uh, schemes of the IPO days in yep. the '90s, uh, the Chinese uh, IPO boom uh, happens, and every other thing. I mean, every other industry, uh, multi-level mm-hmm. marketing companies that you know, toe the line of certain things. Um, so I think that that is uh, misunderstood okay. because the amount of dollars that are a you know, being used for unlawful acts or exceed anything done in uh, the token economy by a huge margin. Okay. You think about, you know, the drug trade and deaths and what people have done with actual U.S. dollars. Right. It doesn't even compare. Far yeah. Right. So like, so I think that's a major misconception. I think it's also a misconception is like, this is the great panacea. It's going to cure every problem we have in our economy. Right. Not necessarily the truth. Um, I think 
my involvement came from friends of mine getting exposure in the in the industry like uh, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss were classmates and uh, I consider good friends now mm-hmm. obviously Mike Novogratz has gotten involved uh, f- even from his days at Fortress the hedge fund when mm-hmm. they actually were public about having a little bit of exposure to Bitcoin uh, and at first I was really hesitant being a traditional markets guy being like how do you custodian this uh, it's not really backed by anything what's the utility of it I'm not an engineer developer or that <laughs> great with tech so it took me, I was such a slow study to really understand, well, how can this apply to a lot of things we do, whether it's contractual stuff, whether it's, um, you know, the transfer of value or store of value. Right. I think that it will have great utility for a lot of things. It will not have application for everything. Okay. Um, and when you think of the internet uh, and those protocols starting in the 70s with ARPANET and where that came, it took 30-something years for it to really come. I think for this adoption, it should be a lot faster because we have the software and hardware in place, the infrastructure there for this to be adopted. But our grandmothers need to know how to to transfer some Bitcoin pretty easily for it to be you know, broadly accepted probably right. or something of that nature, whether it's Bitcoin or not. Like okay. it needs to be a little bit easy. The ease of use needs to uh, – it just needs to be easier and more available for the adoption to happen, okay. I think. In your company you're working with now, or you founded, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you founded a company that's in this space now? Um, uh, yeah, well, it's not 100% um, released yet, but I'm okay. partnering with a company that is doing, um, I would call, media and content in this space for okay. education, kind of you know, blockchain 101, yep. Um, yep. and partnering with... Which I think inf- is definitely needed. Yeah, for the retail side of business, sure. I mean, institutions are pouring in because they love to speculate. They love to trade. They love to wrap fees around things. And they do believe that this could be the next, you know, the third or fourth internet, or whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, and they don't want to miss it out in the party. Okay. But at the end of the day, if it's not really being used, but people want to trade it and speculate it, they're still making money. Right. Whereas the retail folks want to make money, but they're going to have to they want to use it for something they want to pay for their uber ride with it or they want to you know instead of venmo it's a going the venmo's using the blockchain instead or something like that like right. that's when real adoption is going to happen in my opinion and we want to be positioned to be the the first person you go to for information perfect um yeah okay so. no that's, that's great um and next question is so you're involved with beat the streets mm-hmm. which is one of the most fantastic programs I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about that and the, the event, you, um, what you can share, the event you guys have coming up and, and how people can support that. Yeah, so Beat the Streets, I've, I'm thinking my third year on the board and now the one of, uh, I guess, the co-chairman or vice chairman, uh, now that uh, Mike Novogratz is still going to be involved but stepping down, mm-hmm. who's served 12 years you know, selflessly and pretty much grew this organization with Al Bevilacqua to being literally the premier like youth development organization in the world and maybe the premier wrestling event in the world like we wrestle iran in grand central state station during really tough diplomatic times with that country but guess yeah. what sports are diplomacy and we made it happen cuba right. uh russia yep. you know kind of a world all-star team so um yeah, you know, what we do, we have three thousand athletes under the umbrella of Beat the Streets. Uh, we provide them with. Is this just New York or all just, of them? Uh, the five boroughs, just okay. New York. Uh, the, all, now it's a national organization, so there's ones okay. popping up all over the U.S. and the world now. But uh, for our organization in New York, there's about three thousand kids, wow. uh, give or take, and um, you know, boys and girls. And our girls program has been growing immensely over the past two, three years. Um, so our big thing is 
giving kids a wrestler's education, kind of what this podcast has been about. It's like, right. how does it affect you, uh, uh, you know, through life lessons and, uh, you know, the ability to transition and pivot and have a great career and a great life. Mm -hmm. We want everyone to have exposure to that because we think those lessons are like no other sport can offer. Right. And the opportunity to get scholarships and get into the Ivy League school and all these things that, you know, I'm a great story for that. Right. Like I, I'm not coming. I had a very happy, healthy home, but, you know, we weren't very wealthy and we didn't really have a clear vision of like going to this great academic school. But wrestling was really my my gateway. To right. That. Uh, and I hope these kids and we're seeing some of our kids have that. Um, and we provide mentorship, you know, gear, training. Um, travel to tournaments and camps and all this stuff. Yeah, their first state champ this year or last year. A few years ago now, okay. three I think, right? Brandon okay. Nunes. Yeah, I he was. Yeah, I think that's it. two or three now. Amazing though to see that. Yeah, so great. And, and we have some Ivy League athletes. We have like it's really it's doing the intention. It's happening like what we intended to do. Right. Um, and back to the benefit or our annual event, which kind of raises most of our budget for the year. Um, yeah, you know, we do this great dual meet outside on the streets of New York City. It's gritty. It's great. And we have this great marketing exposure because we have people walking by Times Square to see our great sport. Um, right. And this year, uh, I can't share too much, but we're thinking of doing something to embrace the broader MMA combat sports world and um you know put on this great dual meet uh that will be in you know like a very famous arena of some kind and um have a lot of mma celebrities and uh really embrace the culture of just the fight world because awesome. we're all fighting for you know success life everything yeah so. i can't wait to see it. and uh i'm starting to get involved a little bit with beat the street chicago it's fascinating chicago's a wrestling hub but actual chicago city limits of public schools have hardly any wrestlers, which is insane. And there's, yeah. you know, the suburbs have some great programs, nationally ranked programs, but uh, it's just shocking to hear that when I started getting engaged with these guys um, in Chicago, how few of wrestling programs are in the public school system. Yeah, I mean, Shocking. it's the exact same thing of New York. Like, traditionally, right. New York City wrestling has been terrible. Why? Because there's no culture. And right. wherever you create a culture and there are great athletes, you can have good wrestling. Right. It's really just a, a work ethic thing on top of just good mentorship and coaching. Right. And uh, that was the idea. Um, why not? It's not an expensive sport. I, I mean, it's not, you don't need the no. ice hockey gear and ice time. Like, that's expensive to buy that stuff unless right. your school's paying for that or you're right. going to private school. Wrestling is you just kind of show up at a gym if there's a gym. Right. Maybe a pair of wrestling shoes. And most of the times you get those for free from someone. Right. Yeah, so like for sure. um, I think it's an affordable sport. I think it's uh, a culture inner city kids that are struggling, um, whether it's from, you know, broken homes or whatever it is like there's a fight culture in you already. You're you're fighting every day. Um, and I think wrestling is a perfect fit. So we're trying to do that. But it's a cultural thing. You have to build culture. And what how do you do that? It's just uh, exposure and great coaches. You have to have good mentors and coaches. Okay. No, that's awesome. And then two more for you before we let you go here. The first is, you know, wrestling just seems this way. Teaches mental confidence, excuse me, mental uh, mental strength, discipline. Um, is that something people can learn who aren't in the sport? And if so, how do you think they can do that? Like, what's the best way to learn mental toughness and, and, and improve your discipline? Yeah, it's a great question, and I talk to people about this actually often, and it's not an easy answer. Uh, that's why I think about, you know, when you have kids, how do you learn that toughness? Like, I think you can get it in a number of ways through life experience, right? Whether it's coming, like my one nephew, he'll never wrestle because he ha is anaphylactic to all these food allergies, and you're grabbing and sweating on someone, he'll have a reaction, and his throat will close. But he had surgery when he was five months old. He has uh, a, a um, 
uh, thyroid disease and he's been pricked and pinned and all this stuff every day of his life but he's this hardworking, brilliant kid who's smart and works hard and this adversity has made him so tough like you see him nothing really phases him and I have another nephew who's like a lot more emotional and dramatic didn't have those experiences and I think a wrestling a sport like that will help him for right. his level of toughness and stuff and grinding through certain things so okay. I think life experience is it how you're raised I think wrestling is a, a good shortcut I mean immediately the lessons and the way the sport is whether it's weight management and just the fight and the work just the intensity of these workouts mm -hmm. the structure the discipline um i think the military does an amazing job at that yeah. right um and i don't think i want to put people in harm's way with their lives to get to learn those lessons right. but obviously it does right so like uh, i think there's a million other sports that will um a lot of times individual sports kind of do that right because you're out there alone yes um so yeah, I don't know. I do yeah, a lot of tough. parents ask. They're like, "Oh, I want to toughen my kid up, but what should I do?" And I was just like, "Well, spend time with them. One, yep. <laughs> teach them the right life lessons. Right. Don't hand everything to them. Right. You know, make them work. Uh, yeah. And uh, it doesn't have to be wrestling, but it's a, it's a good way to to find those things through the sport. The sport teaches you those. Uh, right. You know. And I love the idea of some type of mandatory Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu wrestling judo progression maybe through like elementary school I, not even in like a competitive way where you're making them cut weight and all that but just teaching them that letting them go hand to hand every day it's good for their confidence yeah um because i mean you know how it is like nine times out of ten if someone comes up and messes with you you're gonna destroy them so you walk around with that confidence innately yeah. and so if there's some way to get that with kids where you're not making them cut the weight and not making them wear the singlet because i think that's probably the biggest two things yeah that people don't like and i think that's fine i, I think the singlets dated um <laughs> i think even the more modern singlets don't look as much like singlets anymore um do you like the fight shorts and the then the like the compression top that flo's doing i do i don't like the fight shorts because they're baggy i'd rather them be spandex because your hands and fingers i don't like it getting caught and right uh, um though in fighting they do bag your shorts i don't know i do agree with you i said the 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 type of uh confidence you get paired with humility is yeah. just second to none and right. like you do walk into a business meeting not that you're like this ego guy and you're going to knock someone out but you know that you can handle yourself physically in any sh way shape or form in most rooms you enter at all times and people you're small because so, you're a wrestler and yeah. people like always underestimate you right. so you have this like inner arrogance that really does help you in a lot of other aspects of life it's such a carnal like meathead way of thinking but it does it's like true. you feel like I can handle myself. I have good body awareness. I know body positioning. I right. know where to step here, here, and here and just know to be safe. Right. Or it helps you learn other things physically when you get older in sports. So like I love that. And I felt like I love baseball. And if all I did was play baseball, maybe I could have played at a high level somewhere. And that would have been cool. Yeah. But at the same time, I would have missed out on all those other lessons, I think. Because I don't know if I would have learned that through baseball. Dude, thank God you did. That was <laughs> kind of freaking crazy. Um, your last thing for me is, obviously, the theme of this podcast, wrestling changed, changed your life, changed my life. Um, if you just kind of had to summarize in a couple sentences, and I know we've hit on this a little bit, but you know, if, if, a, if a parent asked you, why would my kid wrestle? Or... Another way to look at it is, you know, what life lessons does it teach you? Like, how would you summarize that in a couple sentences to really, really drive home the fact? Um, oh, there's so much, right? I mean, I think, I don't know why I just love confidence and humility. And then a lot of people don't have that. It's just inner arrogance you get. It's the ability to handle yourself in any situation. It's really uh, overcoming adversity. Everyone is going to ha be faced with adversity. Tom mm -hmm. Brady, the greatest ever 
handsome guy. It doesn't seem like he's got anything going wrong in his life. Yeah. For sure it's had adversity, right? right? So like everyone's going to have that and like wrestling teaches you how to roll with the punches really better than anything, especially if you get to a certain level. And even getting touched for a short period of time, you learn these lessons. I talk to people that I run into in the gym, oh you must have wrestled. They're like, Oh, I wrestled for two years in junior high, but Everything I do in work, I think about wrestling every day. Changed my life, though. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, studio had it like Warner Brothers. He wrestled for like a year, and he was just like, oh, my God, I think about how tough that sport is. Toughest sport in the world. And, uh, and I think about how even doing it that brief time, the respect I have for a wrestler. Joe Rogan I, talks about that. He did it for one year. And right. he, like, obsessed with it. Yeah. And so it's something special about it. Um, yeah. And I, and I think I love that the MMA community is growing and rest and for that it's making wrestling more popular and all these things. So for a parent, I, I don't know. I think it's just work ethic, discipline, humility, confidence, but the ability to like whether you have a family or you know work or whatever it is, like the ability to overcome within a single match or practice the adversity is going to be thrown at you nonstop. Um, it's yeah. a hurt so good. It's an unforgiving sport. Yeah. And if you can come out of that and just you know survive it and like and you throw on top the weight cutting for better or worse doing all that while cutting weight is like just an insane level yeah of and i just i hate that we like i just but it's true though it's true but it sucks to, to kind of mention weight cutting because i think that yeah. that's the one thing that like people really don't like right it's and just it's, like it is, for parents especially yeah but but it's i mean the things i think about when I was so dehydrated <laughs> or not eating, yeah. I was like, I don't, when I go through something tough, it's just like, this is a joke. And I did that voluntarily. I wasn't like a prisoner of war. <laughs> For no money. What kind of crazy person does this <laughs> is willing to drink and eat things that just I won't even share on the air. Right. But like, that was voluntary. Right. <laughs> that was a commitment because I was so committed. So like, if you go into a boardroom and you're like, I did that voluntarily i will get this done and we will win we will make this company we will sell this company for whatever it is we will build this company that's a joke right are you kidding me so like there is that like arrogance or confidence being like dude i went through that and i wasn't sent there by the military i just chose to do that because i'm You're i'm an person. animal i'm yeah. an animal yeah <laughs> so i'm not just saying me but i just like there is something to that too maybe yeah yeah right so. on brother well hey appreciate you coming on man it was yeah. a pleasure thank yeah, you thanks for having me absolutely that's the end of this episode but definitely not the end of the show for more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.